Great to be back. I missed you last week. I appreciate uh, Chris Boyer carrying us through in our part three of uh, our series. And I was home uh, visiting my mom and dad. And uh, they say hello to you guys. They don't know you guys. I think they were here years ago. But uh, it, it was a great time to be in my hometown. And uh, so, but it's great to be with you. If you're a guest here today, really excited. Want to say hi to everybody online too. There's people online. I watched online last week. Believe that? So I was spying on you guys, especially you guys here in the front row. (laughs) Saw the back of your head, Ted. But if you're visiting here with us, we're really excited you're here. And we're right in the middle of a series called Be Rich. Not how to be rich, but when you're rich, how to be rich. Not how to get rich. Okay, it's how to be rich when you're rich. You hear me okay? Okay, good. So we've been going through this whole series, and the reason why we're doing this series is guess why? And, and if you want to go back and hear one, part one, two, three, you can go to our website. Sometimes you need to hear this stuff again. But this is the reason why we're doing this series, because Americans are really bad at being rich. Americans, what they do when they get more, guess what Americans do? They give less. So if, if, you know, we all want this, we want a blessing, right? Send me a blessing, Lord. Maybe in church today because you need a blessing, okay? But what will you do with that blessing? Here's what Americans do. And guess what? Most of us in this room, I think we're Americans. Some of you are saying, I'm not American. Well, you're here, right? (laughs) But we're no good at this. We're no good at being rich once you are rich. And some of us are richer than we are realize. We say, well, that doesn't apply to me. I'm not rich. You have no idea. And that's what we found out in the, in the last few weeks. So we've been looking at a passage of Scripture where Paul, the apostle, told his disciple, his, his protege, Timothy, how to be rich. What do you need to tell rich people so they can be good at it? And so that way, if one day you get that big blessing that you've been praying for, God, I just need just one cool million That's all I need. I'll be good with that. If you do get it, you'll know what to do with it. And it's so important. And a lot of us, thank God we haven't got our million because it would mess up our lives. But um, I just want to start out, you know, rich people problems. Okay, rich people problems. How do you know if you're rich? Okay, let me describe to you some rich people problems. Bad cell phone coverage, although we have a tower right out here, you probably wouldn't. But if you're kind of cruising around and you got bad cell phone coverage and you complain about it, you go, man, I just can't seem to get good cell phone coverage. That's a rich person problem. Or the teacher from your kid's school hasn't called back. That's a rich person problem. Bad internet at home connection. Slow internet. That's a rich people problem. Okay, other ones. Like, uh, you know, the, the repairman, he's taken too long to come, so he set a schedule between 12 noon and 12 midnight, and you got to wait for him all day. That's a rich people problem. Okay, we're in a drought here in California, right? And you can't water your lawn, or people look at you in the neighborhood and say, why are you watering your lawn? Don't you know we're in a drought? That's a rich people problem, and you, go, you sneak out at late at night, and you turn on the, the sprinkler when nobody's looking and they say, why is your grass wet? You're cheating. Well, I have a well. No, you don't have a well. Okay? 
But that whole idea, well, I don't want my grass to turn brown, and it'll be really bad if my grass dies and turns brown. That's a rich people problem. Do you realize that in places in the world, if they heard you complaining about not being able to water your grass, they, they would roll over, they would die either laughing or crying. There's literally people have to carry water, okay, from a well or from a, a, a reservoir, hundreds of yards to take to their house so they can use it for their daily needs. And we have so much water that we spray it on the ground. We have so much water, we, just, we can just throw it and, and, and just spray it all over our yard. That's how much water we have in this country. Let me just break it down for you. Guys, living in America, we are rich. So I want you to practice this right. with me, okay? Whenever you're complaining about traffic, in your car, with your air conditioning on, and the music bumping from your phone and everything else. And you say, man, the traffic is so bad. I want you to say this. I have a rich person problem. I have a rich person problem. Okay, now say it like you mean it, okay? Because <laughs> you're going to need this. You're going to need this this week. You're going you're to hear yourself complaining, and you're going to have to say it to yourself. I have a Okay, and we do. And that's why. That's why we need this series. And that's why I'm glad you're here if you're a guest because you probably need this. All right, so we're looking at a passage of Scripture, and we talked about this uh, last week. Talk, Chris talked about it, which I very much appreciate him doing the lesson for me uh, last week. We talked about migration of hope, and what that is is when you basically stop trusting in God. Maybe you were raised in church and, and your parents taught you, hey, you got to trust in God, trust in God. Then you can start getting some money and your money goes from God. I mean, your hope goes from God to what? Money. You don't need God anymore. Most Americans don't need God. They don't need church. You know why? Because they got money. All their needs are met. And so this is what we've been talking about, the migration of, of hope, that it's no longer God that I depend on. So we came up with this phrase a couple weeks ago, Okay, and I hope you're carrying it around, okay, that says this, I will not put my trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. This is kind of like a protector, a shield. You know, we got, uh, what, what's, the, what's the, the superhero that just came out? Captain America, man, it's awesome. You got that awesome shield, right? Do you have a shield against migrating your hope from God to wealth? How can you shield yourself like Captain America with this phrase? You say, I'm not going to put my hope in, in riches, but in him who richly provides. And God gets such satisfaction when we do that. And Chris talked about this this, this past week. So how do, else do I to protect myself? Yeah, phrase is good, but you also need to predetermine, predecide to do more and give more. You plan on it. And today I want to share with you why Christians, why people that believe in God, put their trust in God, are the most generous people on the planet. And you can go do the work yourself. You can go look it up online. Who give more? People that believe in God, follow God, and people who don't. It is so clear that people who, who believe in God, follow God, give a ton of money away, time and heart, and, and they volunteer like crazy. And we're going to look at the reason why. Why Christians, 
give away so much, why they do more and give more. And it's an amazing thing. And here's the other amazing thing. The closer you get to the center of someone having a relationship with God, meaning they read their Bible on a regular basis like every day, and they pray and they, they, they come to church regularly, the, the closer they come to that kind of devotion to God, guess what? They give more. And we're going to look at the reason why they do that. It's an incredible teaching that we're going to look at. Why Christians do it is, is an amazing, amazing teaching. And the New Testament is very different. The teaching is very different than other faith systems and other things because of what we're going to look at. So I'm going to roll it out for you. Let's see if you catch it. You ready? See if you see what this, this key to doing more and giving more and why Christians give more and do more than any other religion on the planet. Here it is. Ready? Paul said this, 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world. Did you catch it? Where is it? Why do Christians give more and do more? Here it is. Present world. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Present world? What are you talking about? You mean there's another world? Yeah, Paul's rolling this out right on the front. He's giving us, he's tipping his cards. He said, I want you to understand why Christians do so much, why they give so much, and how they truly become rich. Because this people who are rich, I want you to tell rich people there's a lot more at stake than what they see and what's going on in this present world. So what does that mean? There's another one? Yeah. There's another one world that we're talking about. In fact, what Paul is saying, he's saying, guys, this is just a dress rehearsal, what we're doing here on this earth. This is a test. This is a, this is a, a pre, pre-service to what's going to happen in the next world. So let's read on. Let's read the rest of the verse. It says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth which put to, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for we need for our enjoyment. And that's where we get this phrase of the migration of hope. Okay, we read on verse 18. Command them to do good and to what? This is, this is the theme of our series, to be rich. So God is actually commanding us to what? Be rich. But what kind of rich? What kind of rich? To be rich in good deeds and to be what? Generous. Generous. He's defining what it means to be truly rich. And to be willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves and a firm foundation for the what? Coming age. So what you're saying, Paul, and he got this directly from Jesus and I know some of you are uncomfortable because we're talking about money and you hear a preacher talking about money and you're already, your guard's up. You got, you know, you, know the, the, you got the shields way up. Anytime you hear a preacher talking about money and we say, well, why are, why are we talking about money? Why do we need to talk about money? Why did Jesus talk about money? And the reason is, is because he's talking about this whole idea of what you do with your money here affects what happens later in the next life. In the coming age. So that's why Paul is saying, listen, guys, Paul told Timothy, 
tell them that they need to lay up treasures, in other words, to diversify. And that's what the title of today's lesson is, Diversify. When you talk to an investor, they're going to tell you not to invest in one investment, but to do what with your, to diversify. A little gold, a little silver, a little stocks, maybe some annuities, maybe here, maybe there. But you got to diversify. Let me ask you a question. Are you diversified? They say, well, I don't have any money. I'm not an investor. Oh, yes, you are. And you are an investor because you, you receive money and you are an American and you are wealthy. What are you doing with that? And he, so he's saying investing, not just in this world, but in the next one to come. And, and this is what Paul's trying to say. If you're willing to look at your, if you're willing to, to view your wealth through the lens of eternity, guess what will happen to wealth and possessions? They will lose their grip on you and they, and you will lose your grip on them. Because some of us, we got a really strong grip on our possessions and we don't even know it. They got a stronghold on us, but if we're willing to look at, we're willing to look at our wealth, our money, through the lens of eternity, guess what's going to happen? We're going to lose our grip and it will lose its grip on us and it can free us up and so that's what what paul is saying and this was a teaching that paul got from jesus jesus talked about a money he talked about money a lot and we're going to look at a passage of scripture that is very unsettling so i want you to prepare yourself but we're doing it with the hope that we can have a diversified portfolio of life and we could be ready for the coming age. And it's huge. So we're going to look at it. Luke chapter 12, if you want to take notes or turn on your Bible and open it up, or you're going to be on the screen, you can follow along. But this, this parable that Jesus is going to share with us is a story that he completely made up. The reason he made it up is because he was teaching like, you know, any other. And then there was a couple of guys in the back, back over here, they started arguing about money. And so one of the guys that's arguing stands up and says, hey, Jesus, tell my brother to give me my share of the inheritance because he's holding it back. And Jesus answered, dude, why are you involving me in your family quarrel? In other words, Jesus wants us to work things out for ourselves. But he wants to take advantage of the opportunity and says, hey, I need to do some teaching on greed, money management, and how people look at money. So he tells this story. The ground of a certain rich man. So who are we talking about in this story? A rich man. It applies to rich people. A, 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 a rich man yielded an abundant crop. Now doesn't your heart go out to this rich guy? Don't you love to hear stories of rich people getting richer? That just fires you up, doesn't it? Man. But here's a rich guy. Now, how do you define a rich guy? A rich guy is a guy who has extra. Now, he's got extra. Now he's got, because his crops came in even higher, bigger, he's got extra, extra. Don't you love it when rich people have extra, extra? And so that's what we're talking about. We read on. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops 
So his vantage point about riches are, it's his, right? And, and you know, to, to think about this, when rich people have a lot, where do they think it came from? It's mine. It's me. Read on, verse 18. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I got a great plan. I have extra, and I got extra, extra, so this is what I'm going to do. This is what I will do. I will tear down my old barns, or my barns, and build bigger ones. So there I will store up my surplus grain. Now, I want you to understand, this, this, when people are hearing this story, they go, wow, this, this guy's pretty smart. You know, when you... You know, and it's not totally unbiblical what, what he's saying because the Bible teaches in the Old Testament that when you're given a lot, you should do what with it? Save it. The Bible teaches saving, not spending. It teaches saving. Maybe he's laying away for retirement. That's not a bad thing. Or laying away to give to his children. That's not a bad thing. Okay, so he's, he's, you could think, man, this guy's pretty, he's pretty smart. He's, he's got a problem and he's got a solution to his problem. Now, there's a problem with his solution. There's an assumption. And the assumption is, everything that I get in my hands is for who? For me. It's for me. So if I get extra, guess who it's for? And if I get extra, extra, guess who it's for? Me, me. And that's, that's the assumption, and it's called the consumption assumption. Everything that is given to me in my hands is for me. Read on. And here it is. Here's, here's the consumption. Save now to consume later. Now, is this bad? Some of you don't want to answer because you're going to trap you. No, this isn't bad. Saving is not bad. The Bible teaches saving. It's better to save than to spend it like crazy, right? We know that's not good. Personal experience, we know that's not good, right? Save now to consume it later. This was kind of his, and, and this is the assumption consumption. I have extra and extra, and so what I will do is I'm going to hoard it. I'm going to keep it because I may need it later. And so we read the story, we continue the story. I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. If Jesus stopped the parable right here, you go, wow, that is pretty good. He just stopped it right here. It's a good story. It's a good life. The good life. I, I, I could say this, this kind of represents America, doesn't it? Save, save, save. Then you get what? Retirement. You get your 401k and you reach a certain age and it's tax free your whole life, you think. But this, this is kind of, you know, and, and, and so if Jesus finished the story right now, you know, you'd say, this is, this is, you know, it's a good story. He's saving up and it's actually, there's some biblical precedent in the Old Testament that backs this up. Jesus shocks everyone now, okay? He's going to give us a shocker. Ready? Here it is. But God said to him, you fool. What do you mean, you fool? He's not a fool. He's smart. This is actually a smart thing to do, isn't it? 
Why is he calling him a fool? And I want you guys to understand, this, this is the first time that Jesus is going to teach us something that hadn't been introduced before. Don't be distracted by these people. They're, they're strange people. <laughs> they're different people. Okay? But this is, this is huge. And, and, you know, and I, you guys have to understand that when someone was rich in the first century, they were looked at themselves like, I'm blessed. Whether you're rich or you're healthy, wealthy or healthy, guess what? You're blessed by God. So if I got money, guess what? I'm in God's favor because he blessed me with this money. Jesus turned that thought process on its head. He says, just because you're wealthy and healthy does not mean you have God's favor. In fact, Jesus came to help people who were what? Poor and sick. And people got angry. Why aren't you helping us, Jesus? We're rich and we're healthy. And Jesus said, I didn't come for you. So this whole principle is very different than what people were used to. And so he goes on and he says, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Now this is where it gets strong. This is where it gets intense. Because what happened to this guy's investment and his plan to save up for the future? What happened? His whole plan, save up so you can enjoy life later and, and, and my whole retirement plan and enjoy. And, and this can't possibly be true. How can, how can this happen to me? I have money. How can I be out of time? You ever heard the phrase, the quote, how can I be out of money when I still have all these checks? You ever heard that one? I got all these checks that I can still write. How can I be out of money? It's the same principle. You may, not, you may have money, but you're out of time. And this is what happened to him, his investment, his plan. How do you describe it? Total loss. Total loss. He lost everything he had, and guess what else he lost? The opportunity. He lost an opportunity to make a difference with what he had. And this is huge for us. This is huge. And it's not just because, you know, and he lost everything, and it's not because he was generous, it's because he was dead. He could no longer decide what to do with what he had. And this is, this is a huge, huge point, guys. If you, can, if you can grab this, this is a huge point, especially if you're not really a believer in the Bible, you're not really a Christian, you're not sure how you stand on things, this is huge, this point. We don't get credit for what we leave. We only get credit for what we give. We don't get credit. This is what Jesus taught, and this is what he's teaching. This is what the New Testament teaches. You don't get credit for what you leave behind. John D. Rockefeller passed away, and a reporter came up to his, and he, he was the wealthiest man in, in the world at that time, and, and in history. And a, a reporter came up to his accountant and said, hey, how much did he leave behind? Because he won the dollar figure, no? How much did he leave behind? And the lawyer very clearly said, all of it. 
And this is where it's going to be level for all of us. The answer to Jesus' question, or what God asked the rich man, what will become of everything that you've accumulated? You will lose all of it. This is where it's equal for everybody. How much do you leave behind? Everybody. All of it. Every bit of it. And so, to think about this, what's, what's Jesus getting at with this whole idea? And, and you know, to think about the, the idea that Jesus is trying to apply the point. Now, he's going to apply it really clearly here. Okay, you ready? Verse 21, he says, this, this, okay, pay attention because this is it. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for who? Themselves. But is not rich towards God. So he's redefining rich. And I want you guys to understand, in the history of religion, this is a redefinition of how to get God's attention. In pagan religion, even in the Jewish religion, if you wanted to get God's attention, what would you do? You would bring an offering. You'd bring an animal or you'd bring a gift and you'd offer it to God. Jesus is going to change everything here. If you want to be rich towards God, guess what you have to do to be rich? And, and, and we already looked at this, the consumption assumption. To be rich towards God basically means you look at the person next to you, how you can help them. And Jesus says it right here. He says this later on in the same chapter. He says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. Treasures in heaven that will never fail where there no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Want to be rich towards God? What do you do? Help other people. If you want to get my attention... Help my children. Boy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pay really careful attention. You go help one of my children, and boy, I am going to pay attention to you. That's God. One of his fellow children. If you help somebody else, that's the way to bring your offering, not to God, but I want to help somebody else. And that's why it's our desire as a church to help people help people. That's why we do all of our teaching series is because we want it to be a, a place where you help. Our children's ministry is all about helping our children get to know God. It's all about helping people. So if you want to get God's attention, do something for one of his children. Preferably somebody who's hurting and in need. That's how you can be rich towards God. And, and let me say this. He says here, to sell your possessions, does that mean all of it? Does it say all of it? And how much then? The extra that you have. Well, what if I don't have any extra? Well, you've got a, you've got a challenge. Because you've taken your extra, and guess what? Let, let me help you guys in the United States of America. Have you ever driven around? There's a place right down here. It's called uh, Storage. Uh, what, what's it called? The, the, the Storage Place. It's got a lighthouse in front of it. 
And it's, it's a storage house, and they have garages lined up where you can store, and they're full. They're full of what? Extra stuff. See, because they ran out of room in their garage. See, their garage is full. Have you ever seen that peeking into other people's neighborhood? You're walking around the neighborhood, and they got their garage door up, and guess what you see? Man, it's packed. You can't fit a car in there. There's so much stuff that's just pouring out. You go, and then somebody walks out, and you look the other way. I didn't see that their garage is full of stuff. But that's America. We got so much extra stuff. So what do we have? We have garage sales. Why? And we leave these big bags of extra clothes at the door for the Salvation Army or for the vets or, or for Goodwill. We, we, t- we, 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 we're always unloading. Guess, guess, guess what, guys? Guess why? Because we have extra. We have so much extra in this country. And Jesus is saying, find your extra, sell it, and give it to who? Give it to the poor. Give it to people who are in need. And not just physically, people who are in need spiritually. Because, see, there's a different type of poverty, and we'll talk about that in a couple weeks. It's an even bigger problem, spiritual poverty. But in America, we have a lot of extra. And he's not, God's not asking us for all. He's asking us for a percentage. And we'll talk about that in, in a couple of weeks. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying this. I have an idea. Do you know you have an opportunity with all that stuff, that extra? Do you know what that opportunity represents? It represents you having the opportunity to take what you have here and invest it where? In heaven. And so, what if you say, well, I don't want credit for what I do for the poor. I just want to do it. I just want to give to the poor. Well, you're going to have to take that up with Jesus. It's not my teaching. It's Jesus' teaching. But you're going to get credit for it. Everything you do for someone else, you're going to get credit for it. And so that's what Jesus is trying to say. So let's go back and finish this up. And then Jesus says it here in Luke 20, 12, verse 33, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here's here's why we're doing this series and why we're going to do it every year. If you're around this church, we're going to talk about money at least once a year. You know why? Because it's the number one competitor for your heart the number one competitor for your heart. It's the number one competitor in your relationship with God. Nothing gets a hold of you like money does. Nothing. Guess what's the number one destroyer of marriages and families? It's because it has an effect on our hearts. That's why Jesus taught about it so much. So if you want to have treasure in heaven, what should you do with your money? Try to find a way to give it away. Help other people with it. Do good with it. And your heart will go with that money. It'll follow that money. All right, so we've talked about rich. What's the, what's the polar opposite of rich? Poor. Now, what's worse than poor? Anybody know what's wor- worse than poverty? You did. That's, that's, that's strong. <laughs> Now, there, there's a worse place than poverty. Guess what it is? Debt. Debt. See, because when you're poor, guess what you got? You got very little. You're zeroed out. You got nothing. 
If you're below poverty, what do you got? Debt. And our country thrives on this. Thrives on debt. Have you ever noticed how often you get offered credit cards? Credit? It's all over the place. You go online, they're going to offer you a credit card. Okay? You guys that are young, wait till you get out of high school, man, it's going to come in the mail. Okay? They're going to give you a free credit card. And it's going to be bait so you can be below the poverty line. See, poverty is one thing. Zero. You're broke. There's a place to be that's even below broke, and it's called debt. And this guy, this little guy here, he's trying to shoulder debt. Guess what? You can't shoulder it. It grows. And they set it up in such a way that you can't get out. The interest rates are so high. A 23% interest rate? Are you kidding me? I thought, wait a second, I thought in this country slavery was illegal. I thought they illegal, it's illegal in the world. Slavery is illegal, right? Let's look at this verse. Proverbs 22, verse 7, it says, The rich will rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. When you're in debt, guess what? You've got a chain on you. The bank, the creditor, owns you. Okay? And just because you have credit does not mean you're rich. It is a gateway, gateway to destruction. And so, you've been staring awkwardly at these people here. We're going to do this. We're going to do this as a church because I, I so want to see all of us get out of debt. So much. Because we are... And, and let me just share with you some information. One of our fellow regions here in the Los Angeles church, they... They took a, 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 we may do this at some point, it's kind of discouraging, but they did a survey in the church, a region here in L.A., L.A. metro area. They got like 300 families in the church, okay, in the church, just like you, brothers and sisters, where Daryl and Debbie are going, one of these churches, not that church, but another church. Guess how much debt they cumulate debt of a group of about 300 families, $11.7 million of debt. I guarantee you guys, I guarantee you, if we took up a survey in this group, guess how much debt we would have? And this doesn't include, this number does not include mortgage debt. It is, it is student loans, credit cards, cars, and other types of debt. But no mortgages. You're shaking your head and you're going, wow. It's a problem in the United States of America. In fact, church-going people, church-going people in America, average, average, a family averages $38,000 in debt in America. You think we got a problem with debt? These are church-going people. These aren't people that, you know, out there spending crazy. These are people that read their Bible, go to church, $38,000. $38,000 in debt, the average. And so what they did for nine weeks, they went after this. They had, uh, they had 770 open credit accounts. And they were able to, in nine weeks, pay down tens of thousands of dollars and to cut up 100 credit cards and get rid of it. And this is just the beginning. It was only nine weeks. So... I've talked with us about some of our members, and some of our members, this little group of people over here, they're very passionate about getting out of debt. 
And so they've been involved in it for a couple months, right? And they're going to do this for free. They're not going to charge any money to our fellow members because they want to help what they've received. They want to help you. And they're going to do this once a month. They're going to meet on a Saturday or a day that it works for you to help you get out of debt. And these groups have been so effective because when you get in a group, guess what happens? Number one, you're not alone because there are other people like you that are in debt and they're trying to get out of debt. Number two, you're accountable. And so I'm going to have, uh, Diane, you going to come up and share? Just come on up, everybody. Okay, they're going to share your story. This is very inspiring. This little group of people, how much they've gotten out of debt. Well, um, about a year ago, I was introduced to a program called War on Debt, and these are our warriors right here. There's been several people that have gone through the class, but the they want to help you get out of debt. And I think this is, the, this is a great step for our church, is members helping members. And guess what? If you're in debt, you will never be rich. You can't even think about it when you're in debt. And it's a, it's a great program. I've, I've, I've visited uh, the, the, the meetings that they've had, and it's awesome. You walk out going, mm, yep, I've got to make some changes. And we're, we're, our, our household, we're working on it. And, and it's one of my goals to be debt-free. Our elders are doing the same thing. Joe and Sandy, they're like, we, we want no debt, zero. So the debt is on the crosshairs. And I, I just, I, if there's something, if I could just say this, listen. If I could cash out my 401k today and leave and not work for the church anymore, what I would want for you, and that's not going to happen, but I'm just saying, what I would want for you with no strings attached, what I would want for you as, as a member of our church and as a guest of our church is to be completely debt-free. To be completely debt-free. For you young people, it's huge that you walk into life and say, I'm not going to get into debt. And that you can surround yourself with a culture and a people that will help you to stay out of debt. That's what the church needs to be, a refuge. Because, guys, i gotta, I got to say it. Our society is built on a corruptive system of enslaving people to consume. Okay? It's just how it is. It's what, it's what, it, it's what gets our economy. Now, I'm not going to get into, you know, any government bashing or anything like that. We're not talking about that. We're not going there. I'm just saying, if you stand back and look at it, the commercialization and the spend and consume and consume and consume and consume, and then you look at, as I do, I get a front row seat to the carnage of people's marriage, of people's families, all because of this American lifestyle of spend, spend, spend. And the greatest way you can get out of that is to learn how, as the Bible teaches, to be rich. And it also teaches, do not get in debt. Let lo no love, uh, no debt outstanding except the eternal debt of love, Romans 12. That's what it talks about. Okay? So, thank you, Diane and friends. You guys are awesome. I appreciate so much that you're willing to do this, to step out for our, our brothers and sisters. And uh, in the fall, we're going to have that region. I'm going to tell you who the region is soon, and they're going to come out here, and they're going to share their story because you would not imagine the joy level for nine weeks, how people are so excited because they're, they're, they got the chains off. And now they're starting to think about and dream about being rich, biblically rich. 
about doing things for needy people and having extra and what to do with that extra. What would you do with extra? How many people could you help with extra and then extra, extra? And it's, 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 an, it's a very contagious mentality. So I want to close out. We're going to wrap it up. I want to encourage you to have a plan. Okay? Have a plan. Have a plan of how much you want to give. Chris talked about this last week, didn't he? Okay, he talked about this. Three S givers. What happens if you don't have a plan? You will be spontaneous, sporadic, and sparing. This is the American way of giving. Okay, it's spontaneous. Somebody walks up to you and says, hey, can you, can you give me some money? Yeah. What are you going to do with it? Okay, here, here's a dollar. You know? And you think, oh, I gave to the poor. Okay? Or sporadic. It's once in a while you see a TV commercial, you know, something moves your heart, you know, something like that, and you give sporadically. No, have a plan so you can give percentage-wise and not sparingly. This is typically what Americans do. This is what we're going to talk about is this type of giving. 3P givers, they have a priority. They put it first on their list. Let me tell you this. We're going to talk about in a couple weeks this is this. There is no better interest rate, no better investment than in the kingdom of God stock. It's the best. I got to see our investment live and in color last night. We invest in what we call the student ministry, right? How many of you college students or uh, high school students? Were you there last night? Reality 14. Was that an incredible event? It's not free. We need ministers to do that work. And we need people that, that are willing to invest the time. It was an incredible, incredible event for our young people. Thousands of young people, you know, hearing the word of God and, and worshiping and hearing a great message on how to avoid pitfalls. To give a percentage, and we'll talk about that in a couple weeks. What is the percentage? Okay, and then the last thing is, Chris didn't talk about this last week, but progressive. Once you've hit a certain percentage, and this is something that's really on my heart, personally. I want to find ways to up it. You know what I mean? Not to give what I've been giving for 10 years or five years and stick to what we call a tithe. Hey, well, how can I give more? If it's the best investment, how can I give more than that? Okay? So, here's a verse that we're going to look at before we take communion. But I, guys, I want you to understand how badly God wants us to be rich in his eyes. How many of you have ever lost money on an investment? How does it feel when you lose money on an investment? Man, it feels so bad. You either get depressed or you get angry. Okay? Let me tell you this. There's relief when you lose money on investment because you can say, well, I'll start over. I'm going to do a reset. The parable that we looked at, there was no reset. That's the seriousness of what we're talking about. There's no do-over. It's over. So we want to work on this now, right? You want to work on your wealth now, wealth before God, being rich before God, investing in people, helping people, because we want to avoid that. Let me tell you this other thing, last thing, and we'll wrap it up. You will never miss money you give away. I've never missed money that I gave away. I've, I've missed, you know what money I miss? I miss money that I've wasted. Ooh, I miss that. 
I miss money that I poorly invested. Okay? And I miss money that I give to my brother-in-law. You will never, you will never miss money you give away. You know why? Because there's a fulfillment. There's a fulfillment that you helped somebody else get a little closer to God, have a little help when they needed it. And some of you have been the beneficiaries. And let me just say this. We went back to this. These, these three priority, these three P givers, do you know why our church is what it is today? Because we got people in this church that give large percentages week in and week out. That's why we have what we have. What if more of us participated in that? I got to do mission work around the world in the southern part of America, South and Central America. I got to do mission work for 10 years because of extremely wealthy members who didn't look at, you know, the first two. They said, I got to give more. And we were able to announce the gospel to thousands of people. Now we have churches of thousands in Central and South America because of that generosity. What can our church do if we grab this teaching, we get out of debt, and we learn how to be rich? Imagine the families that will be saved from total destruction. I'm excited, and I hope you are too. Let's, let's, let's look at this passage and then take communion together as we give thanks. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became what? He lowered himself. He lowered himself so that through his poverty we might become rich. God wants us to be rich spiritually. There's another type of debt. It's called spiritual debt. When you have sins that have not been forgiven of, and you're going to be accountable for those sins. Jesus came to take that away. If you're a guest here today and you know where you stand with God, Jesus wants to take away. And there's a plan on how to do that. And I want to encourage you to study the Bible so you can get that, so you can get out of debt spiritually. But Jesus went through this so that you and I could be rich and have no debt financially or spiritually and be in a right relationship with God. Let's pray for the communion. Father, we thank you so much for today. Thank you for the teaching. I know it's a little unsettling, but it's necessary. God, I pray that you will bless us and help us, God, so we can learn to manage our wealth. And the truth is, God, we can't ignore it. In this country, we are extremely wealthy. We have